morning and uh, welcome to Liberty Church. My name is Pastor Keith Hodges, and again, we are honored to have you. And for all of those in our parking lot today, uh, let me just go ahead and give you just, uh, let's just give a shout of praise to the Lord this morning. And uh, go ahead and honk your horn out there. Let's praise the Lord. Let's give him a shout of praise and worship this morning. Today is Easter Sunday. It is resurrection morning. And today we get to declare the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns and rules in our lives today. So this morning I'm excited because we're going to begin uh, a brand new series together entitled Raised to Life. Uh, and as we talk about being raised to life, this morning, of course, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is really all about. When you think about the resurrection, uh, it is the pinnacle of our faith. It is the foundation stone of our hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, and the Bible actually goes so far as to say, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. And if Christ has not risen from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. And then he even presses it to another level where he literally says this. He says, if Christ has not risen, then we are of all men most miserable. I'm glad to tell you today I'm not miserable. How about you? I'm not miserable. I'm excited. I am full of faith. I am full of hope. And I am full of the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm glad today that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have a living hope, we have a living faith, and we have an opportunity today to serve a great big God. Amen? So this morning, we're going to look in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to read uh, some excerpts from the story of Easter. We're going to begin talking a little bit about the crucifixion of Christ, so we're going to move into His resurrection, and we're going to see some exciting things today as we begin this brand new series simply entitled Raised to Life. So Luke chapter 23 Verses 20 through 23. The Bible says that Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And for the third time he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. But look at verse 23. The Bible says, but the mobs shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevail. And they continued shouting louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevail. I, I want to just make a declaration to you right now. I want to stop for just a minute, and I want to challenge you with something today. Don't let the wrong voices prevail in your life. Don't let the wrong voices prevail in your life. Make sure that you don't allow the voice of fear and the voice of worry, and the voice of unbelief to prevail over the voice of truth and the voice of faith and the voice of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. How many of you understand today that our God's a God of all hope? And He's a God of all comfort. And He is all-powerful and He is almighty and He is for us and not against us. And I want to encourage you today, don't let the wrong voices prevail. And I've shared this over the last few weeks. I believe that we need to be informed. I believe we need to be educated. But I also believe that revelation trumps information every day of the week. And we need to make sure that we don't allow the wrong voices to prevail in our ears. Amen? Now look in Luke 23, verse 33 and 34. It says, And when they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, they nailed Jesus to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
And the soldiers gambled for his clothes and, throw, and his clothes by throwing dice. And in Luke 23, starting in verse 44, the Bible says, And by this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock, and the light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle, literally from top to bottom. And when Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit unto your hands, and with those words he breathed his, la he breathed his last breath. And when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. I want to stop there again. Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him, the Bible says, stood at a distance watching them. I, and I want to just make a commendation of these individuals that were there that day. It took great courage and it took great faith for them to even be present that day when Jesus, the King of Kings, was being crucified. But I want to challenge you with something this morning. I want to challenge you and declare to you that today is not the day to stand at a distance. They stood at a distance watching the crucified Christ. I want to encourage you today, don't stand at a distance. Don't stand back watching and wondering what might happen. This is the day for us to draw near to God. This is the time for us to press into His presence. This is the time that we should be praying and pursuing and literally, I believe, prophesying and decreeing and declaring the Word of God over our city, over our state, over our nation, and over the nations of the world. So don't stand at a distance. Don't stand back. Press in. Draw near to Christ today. And let this season that we're in right now, a time of crisis, become a time of intimacy that you would draw near to the Lord. Amen? And so the Bible says they stood at a distance. And verse 50 says, And now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council. But he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. And he was from the town of Arimathea in Judea. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And he went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. And then he took the body down from the cross, wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of a rock. And this was done, on the, on the, this was done late on the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin. And his body was taken away. And the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. And then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they had finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. In Luke 24, it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, and I love this, one of my quite favorite verses in the Bible, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Come on, somebody. He is not here. He has risen. And today we celebrate the resurrected king. Why do you seek the living among the dead? You don't have to look in a tomb for him anymore, amen? We don't look in a grave for Jesus. We look up. 
Because the Bible says he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father where he forever lives to intercede for me. And you think about it right now. Jesus Christ, the resurrected King of glory, is interceding for me and you today. I'm I'm just going to say something to you this morning. I am encouraged in my heart. I feel like we're in good hands if God's praying for us. How about you? If the resurrected Son of God is interceding on your behalf, I believe today in the midst of of COVID-19, in the midst of financial setbacks, in the midst of craziness and chaos, I believe that we're in good hands today. Amen? Because he's not here. He has risen, just like he said. Amen? And verse 6 says, And remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again, and they remembered his words. I want to encourage you to do something today. Let's remember his words. Let's remember the words of Jesus. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus prophesied his own death, and he prophesied his own resurrection. And not only did he prophesy his own death and his own resurrection, but if you read the Bible, God has already prophesied the end from the beginning. And if you read the back of the book, guess what? We win. (laughs) Right? Let's remember his words. When we're hearing so many things in our world today, when there's so much information and there's so much information overload and details are changing moment by moment, hour by hour, let's remember the words of Jesus. Let's remember what he said. Let's allow the words of Christ to reign over everything else that would be spoken against us today because you are a child of the Most High God and his promise goes out for you. Amen? So let's look at our first point on your outline this morning. I want you to see something. Jesus was not just buried. He was planted. His life was a spiritual seed that would not only conquer death in the grave, but he was raised to life to be the firstborn of many sons and daughters. Jesus was not just buried. He was planted. And there's a big difference. When Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus off the cross, wrapped him in in linen cloth, and put him in a new tomb that had never had another person laid in, I want you to understand something. In Joseph of Arimathea's mind, Joseph was burying Jesus. He was burying the body of Jesus. And when you bury someone, you bury someone because that is the end. It's a sign of closure. And as a matter of fact, we even say that in the natural realm. Whenever we have a funeral, we say, well, this is an opportunity for the family to have closure because this thing has come to an end. And so Joseph of Arimathea buried the body of Jesus. And when he buried his body, he was bringing in his mind something to closure. But I want you to understand something. When Joseph was burying the body of Jesus, God the Father was planting his son Jesus as a spiritual seed. And guess what? When you plant something and you dig a hole and you put it down in the earth, guess what you're doing? When you plant something, you're not declaring an end. You're declaring a beginning. You're declaring that the best is yet to come. And I want you to understand that what happened on that first Easter morning is that on that day when Christ was crucified, they buried his body, but God the Father planted his son as a spiritual seed that would bring life and life abundant to whosoever would believe in him. Jesus actually made this declaration in John chapter 12. Verse 23 and 24, Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And I tell you the truth, 
Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. If it's planted, it'll produce new life. Jesus' natural body was buried by Joseph. But Jesus, the spiritual man, was planted by the Father. And God planted His Son in corruption so He could raise Him in incorruption. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God through faith in Him. Jesus said, only when you're planted can you be resurrected and produce a plentiful harvest, a bountiful harvest of brand new life. Think about it for a second. Jesus was a seed, and we are the harvest of the resurrection. We are the fruit of the resurrection. Those who have believed and been born again now know Christ and have been raised to life. Amen? Look with me now in Romans 8. Because not only was he planted as a spiritual seed, but he was raised to life, the Bible says, that he might be the firstborn among many. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Guess what? We became not only heirs, but we became joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Jesus was planted so that he could be the firstborn among many brethren. He was the first to be born again, the first to be raised to life by the Father so that me and you, guess what? So that me and you could be the, me and you could be the sons and daughters of the Most High God so that we could be grafted in and adopted in to the family of God. Look what it goes on to say. Not only was he the firstborn of many brothers, but having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And look at verse 31. And what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? For if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Think about that. And what can we say about such wonderful things as these? The Bible says when you and I were the enemies of God, Christ died for us. What a wonderful thought. Think about that. God died for us. He sent His Son Jesus as a sacrifice for my sin and your sin. He died for us when we were cursing God, when we were fighting God, when we were rebelling against God. He died for us when we were resisting everything that was good and righteous and just. He sent His Son. And the Apostle Paul says, what can we say about such wonderful things? Because if God is for us, then who in hell, who on earth, who anywhere else could ever be against us? And in verse 32, he says, And since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Won't he also give us everything else? If he didn't spare his son, if God gave the greatest price, will he not also freely give us everything else that we need? Any request that we make in light of God's son is nothing compared to the sacrifice that has already been made and the price that has already been paid through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen? So look at that next point. So Easter is the celebration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
He died to pay the penalty for our sin. And he conquered the powers and principalities of spiritual darkness when he was raised to life. He paid the penalty for our sins and he conquered the powers and principalities of spiritual darkness when he was raised to life. Look with me in Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul again says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies or high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and every authority. I want to stop there for just a second. Look what he says. He says, don't let anyone capture you. Don't be moved away from Christ. Let me just make a statement to you today. There are a lot of great ideologies and, and philosophies out there. I'm just going to be honest with you. There are a lot of great thoughts, and there's a lot of great school of thoughts, and there are a lot of smart, intelligent people that come up with some amazing insight and understanding to life. But this is what Paul says. Paul says, anything that tries to connect you to God without going through Christ is incomplete and unable to save you. Any philosophy, any ideology, any religion that tries to connect you to God the Father without going through Christ is incomplete and unable to save you and deliver you from the power of, from the power of sin and from the power of darkness. Why? Because in Christ, the Bible says, is the fullness of God. And in Christ, we are made complete, lacking nothing. Everything that we need to be in right relationship with the Father has been purchased and accomplished and settled and sealed through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through His triumphant resurrection. Everything. And anything, any idea, any philosophy, any ideology that would try to take you to God apart from Christ is missing the power of God to save. And I'll be honest with you again. There are a lot of ideologies and, and philosophies out there that can help you be a good person, that can help you be successful, that can help you make a lot of money. There's a lot of those ideologies and philosophies out there that you can kind of live your life by, so to speak, that may make you even a better person, but understand something. There is only one way to God. There is only one way to the Father. There is only one sacrifice that takes away the penalty and punishment of our sin, and His name is Jesus. And anything that we bank on to get us to God that is not directly connected to going through Christ is incomplete and unable to save. So look what he says in verse 11. He says, For when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not with a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ, for He canceled for he forgave all of our sins. And he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The Apostle Paul declares two significant things here. He talks about two elements of sin and death that have to be dealt with. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, you were dead because of your sins. 
All have sinned and come short of the death, and the wages of sin is death. And so Paul declares boldly, number one, the reason there is no philosophy or ideology on this planet apart from Christ that can save you is because there's nothing that can atone for the penalty of your sin except for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in the next few verses, and he tells us that Christ took our sins and he nailed them to the cross. The charges that were made against us, the punishment and penalty of our sin was laid on Jesus. The wrath of God was poured out upon him as punishment for my sin and your sin so that we could be freed from the power of sin that brings death. But then there's another element. Look what he says there. He says, not only were you dead because of your sins, but you were also dead because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. See, not only are we dead because of our sins, but we have a sin nature that continues to sin and come short of the glory of God. But guess what Christ did? Through his death, he paid the penalty for his sin. And through the resurrection power of God, he has now given us the Holy Spirit so we can be born again. And guess what happens when you get born again? You get a new heart with a new nature, with a new passion, and with a new desire. Amen? Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? Anybody out there know what it means to have a new heart and a new nature? Do you remember when you went from always wanting to do the wrong thing to now you want to do the right thing and you might come short of the glory of God but your heart is bent toward the things that please the Lord? The Bible says we've been given a new nature. We've been given resurrection power through the glory and the, and the honor that has been given to us through Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. So he dealt with our sin, and he dealt with our sin nature by giving us a new nature so that now I'm born again with a heart that longs to serve the Lord. I shared with you during communion, I was 15 years old when I got saved, and I remember going home that night, and I was a timid shy 15-year-old boy. And I remember going home that night and telling my sister, I can't wait till I go to school tomorrow. And she said, why? And this is what I said. I want to tell all my friends what Jesus did for me. I want to tell all my friends. All of a sudden, something changed. And I wish I could tell you that I went and became this bold, on-fire preacher. I did not. But I did go and tell my few closest friends I got saved. And something happened in me that night. Not only did he pay the penalty for my sin, but he gave me a new nature. I got born again with a heart that now longs and desires to live for Jesus Christ and honor him. And even though I do still sin and come short of the glory of God, I am bent toward doing the things that please the Lord. That's my heart. Why? Because he gave us a new nature by the power of of the Holy Spirit. The Bible literally says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives and dwells in me and you. Amen? What a glorious, glorious promise. Amen? So look at our last point together. I want you to see this. So we are raised to life. We are raised to life by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are raised to life by faith in His finished work. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again on the third day to give us a new nature by the Holy Spirit so we can live for God. So we are raised to life by faith in His finished work. I want you to look at me in Romans chapter 10. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard this scripture, but I want to read it to you. 
And I added a couple little thoughts in here I want to share with you today. The Apostle Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel. And I put in parentheses, Arab and Holly Pond. Come on, somebody. The longing of my heart and my prayer to God for Arab, Alabama, for Holly Pond, Alabama, for North Alabama, and for the nations of the world. Here it is, is that they might be saved. That's my prayer. How about you? That's my desire. How about you? That's my longing. How about you? That people in Arab and Holly Pond and every place and every planet and every corner and every nook and every cranny on planet earth would be saved, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and come to faith in Christ. That's my prayer. That's the longing of my heart. That's why I get out of bed every day. How about you? And then look what he says. He says, for I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. And refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. See, I believe this verse describes us today very clearly. I believe it describes Arab, Alabama. I believe it describes Holly Pond, Alabama. Let me just be honest with you. It describes everybody, every place I've ever been. But specifically right here in the South. Because let me let, let, me let you know what I know about be, living in the South. The South is full of good old boys. Right? The South, I mean, Arab, Alabama, we got a good old boy on every corner. Drive just a little bit over to Coleman County and Holly Pond, and we got good old boys on every corner. And they're good old boys. They'll give you the shirt off their back. If you're broke down on the side of the road, they'll stop and help you. They'll change your tire. They might even put gas in your car. They are good old boys. But the problem with a good old boy mentality is if I'm not careful, I'll think, I'll think that I can be good enough to get to heaven. And what happens many times with good old boys is they do just what Paul said the nation of Israel did. Look what he said. They don't understand God's way of making people right with himself, so they refuse to accept God's way, and they cling to their own way. And they just cling to the idea, well, I'm just going to be a good person. If I'm a good person, one day I'll go to heaven. And if I can, be, if I can do more good than I do bad, and, and if I can kind of live above the curve, right? Somehow we got this idea that God's grading on the curve. I want to tell you something. God's not grading on the curve. God's grading on the cross. And if you ain't been to the cross, you're dead in the water. And if you hadn't been to the cross, you're going to spend eternity separated from God. There is no curve, but there is a cross that Jesus redeemed us on. And there's this good old boy mentality that says, I'll just be a good old person. You know, I might drink a little beer here and I might smoke a little pot there, but I'm not really going to hurt anybody. And I'm just a good old boy and I'm nice and I try to treat my neighbors the way I want to be treated. I don't abuse my wife and I take good care of my kids and I'm just a good old boy. I want to tell you something, good old boys go to hell. And the reason good old boys go to hell is because there is no curve, but there is a cross. And if you reject God's way of salvation, you're only left with damnation. There is no other option. Let me say it again. If you reject God's way of salvation, you're only left with damnation. There is no other option. Now look what else he says. Verse 4. What a great promise right here. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. The law was given hopefully to bring us to a right standing with God. But the Bible goes on to tell us that we couldn't be made right with God through the law 
because of the weakness of our sinful flesh, right? That's why Christ had to die to pay the penalty for our sin, and that's why he had to rise again so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we could have a new nature instead of continuing in that old nature that takes us away from God. And as a result, look what it says in verse 4. As a result, all who believe in him, Jesus, all who believe in him are made right with God. All who believe in him are made right with God. Look at the next verse. For Moses, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all its commandments. So let me, let me clarify this. So according to the law, if you reject the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and you reject faith in the finished work of Christ and you decide, I'm just going to live by the law and I'm going to be good, here's what the law requires. The only way to be accepted and be made right with God by the law is you have to keep all the law perfectly. So the only way to be made right with God by the law is to be perfect. Now, I know a lot of good old boys. I done said that. But you know what? I've never met one good old boy that thought he was perfect. Oh, he thought he was good. And he thought he was a little more good than his neighbor. But I've never really met a good old boy that actually 100% really believed he was perfect. See, because we know in our heart of hearts we're not. We know that we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. And here's the truth. If you try to get to heaven Apart from Christ, the only way to get there is through perfection. And if you and your heart of hearts can without a doubt say, hey, maybe I'm a good person, but I'm not a perfect person, then you are disqualified from a right relationship with God through the law. And you only have one hope, and His name is Jesus. Amen? Now look at the rest of this verse, and we're going to get ready to close. It says, but faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to the earth? And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it is in your heart. And that is the message, the very message about faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart you're made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. I want you to hear me. We are raised to life by faith in what Jesus has already done for us. If we confess with our mouth, the Bible says, that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. Remember, lordship is ownership. Lordship is ownership. When I confess that Jesus is Lord, I'm confessing that I'm giving Him ownership of my life. See, I'm acknowledging that not only did he pay the penalty for my sin, but he actually purchased the right to own my life. I am not my own, the Bible says. I belong to him. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then guess what? Then that means he paid the penalty for our sin. And that means that he's able to give me a new nature that now longs to serve God. See, one of the reasons so many people resist Christianity is they think, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried so hard, and I just can't live that kind of life, so there's no use trying. Let me give you the good news today. The good news is that when you get born again, God gives you a new nature. God gives you a new heart. The Bible says, wherein dwells righteousness. And all of a sudden... There's something within you that you didn't have before. 
It's called a born-again spirit and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And the reason you tried and tried and tried and tried to live that Christian life, but you weren't a Christian and you couldn't do it, is because you were not equipped in your current condition to live the life God has called you to live. But Jesus equips us. Jesus forgives us and then empowers us with a new nature by the Holy Spirit to live the life that God's called us to live. And all you have to do, the Bible says, is confess. Give Him lordship and ownership and say, God, I believe. I believe in my heart. Not just head knowledge, but a heartfelt conviction. And you know the difference right now. There's a big difference between what you intellectually acknowledge in your head and what you believe in your heart. And the Bible says if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God's raised Him from the dead, we can be saved. So I want every head bowed right now in our parking lot. For those of you watching online, just just bow our heads. Let's just bow our heads. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you to take a hard, honest look on the inside. And I want to ask you a very important question today. Have you ever been born again? Do you remember the day that you got saved? Do you remember the day that the weight of your sin was lifted and that there was a new nature put on the inside of you and that something happened supernaturally that you can't even really explain other than with the words Jesus save me because if you can't remember that day then today is your day the Bible says today is the day of salvation and now is the appointed time and there's no better day than Easter Sunday to give your heart to Jesus So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to pray this prayer today, if you're ready to make Jesus Lord, give Him ownership, and you believe in your heart, He paid the penalty for your sin, He rose again on the third day, and that through faith in Him and faith in Him alone, you can be raised to life. If you want to pray that prayer, let's pray it together right now. Just say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I give you ownership and lordship over my life. And by faith I believe and I receive a new nature and eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.